Hello and welcome to the Keeping the Peace podcast with me, Alexis Powell Howard. Today I'm joined by Sergeant Mark Mottershed of Lancashire Police. Hi Mark. Hi. Um, we're going to be talking today about self-care and the duty of self-care which backs up a webinar that I will be delivering on the 9th of February to the National Police Wellbeing Service for Oscar Kilo. So if anybody's been along to watch the webinar, this will back it up. If you haven't seen the webinar, that's that's fine too, because the subjects we're going to be talking about will be relevant to anybody really around self-care. Um, and it's obviously a hot topic at the moment with um, lockdowns and everyone having to kind of think about themselves a bit more differently than usual. Um, Mark, would you just introduce yourself a bit and just say um, about your role and your time in the police, just so people know a bit about you? Yeah, certainly. I'll start with a standard cop introduction where I've been in the cops for 14 years. I'm currently in a office role at the moment, working in corporate development. I've been there for the last 12 months. Prior to that, I've had a bit of a mixed past. I was in um, organisational development for four months. Prior to that, I was in uh, the force control room as a team leader and also as a demand reduction unit for, I think, just over 12 months again. Prior to that, it was five years on the armed response unit. And then prior to that, it was on and off for the best part of four years, acting slash temping sergeant. Um, and then before that, I did a uh, my time on normal response uh, in the St. Anne's area uh, and a bit of community beat, sorry, a bit of community beat management over at uh, Blackpool, Blackpool Town Centre as well. So quite a varied uh, career, I'd say. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's, there's lots of different chunks of time there doing lots of different responsibilities, isn't there? And lots of different yes. roles. Yeah. So obviously we're talking today about self-care. So I'm assuming that you have an interest in self-care and well-being for us to be having this conversation. <laughs> Am uh, I right? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, it was, um, it was first introduced to me by a colleague of mine called Neil, who works for Oscar Kilo. Um, commonly referred to as being jobbed in the job. Uh, <laughs> but no, me and Neil used to work with each other uh, on the band management unit. Uh, he actually mentored me uh, for a good six months. And uh, we were both into, both had an interest in personal development. Um, so uh, we will talk often about that and have quite some candid conversations about first line management um, and some of the resilience needed and perhaps some behaviours that we were witnessing from uh, other line managers that perhaps uh, insinuated that they were struggling with their resilience um, and, you know, sharing personal experience as well. You know, it's not a walk in the park for anyone, uh, leadership. Um, but, yeah, we would often discuss um, or certainly share new insights as to what we've read, what we've listened to, um, and, yeah, just share experiences. Mm. You can often find, quite you, as well, in, I was just thinking about leadership, um, that, people are often picking up how to be a leader from the leaders around them. You know, you might have leadership training, but actually fundamentally it's what your experience, isn't it? And I think, yeah. I think wellbeing and, and self-care is one of those aspects that if, if leaders are struggling or if that isn't part of the culture of the organization and those conversations aren't happening, you've almost got to seek out somewhere else really to be able to kind of think about it and think about yourself in that context as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, most learning is done by peer learning, isn't it? Mm. Um, I mean, what's going on with Langs? Uh, to be fair, I think we're quite good welfare-wise. Certainly with our chief running, Oscar Kilo, being a mm. national lead. Uh, and I've seen the work that's been done by Neil and um, Julie as well. You uh, used to head it up. Um, and we, we do a lot, a lot of good things. Uh, there's a lot of uh, compassion uh, in Langs to try and improve 
improve wellbeing side, both on police officer and police staff side. Um, um, so, yeah. Hmm. So when you're thinking about that for yourself, then what, why, why have you got that keen interest in it? Why were you kind of reading and sharing those ideas with Neil? Uh, I think it probably started when um, I, I took my exams, my sergeant exams early doors. Uh, so I started um, leadership uh, in the police um, from year three onwards. And to be honest, retrospectively, it was probably a bit too early for me. I know you've got to start somewhere. So I won't be too harsh on myself, but um, yeah, and it, and it was just dealing with that aspect. Now I, I came from the military police, so my for four years, so my background, if you want to want to do something, was very command and control. You have to do this, and if anyone ever asked why, it was because we were the military police, and that's what we expected to do. So as far as telling people to do things, it was a very easy uh, environment because of the command and control, and you know that's why it's there sometimes. Um, so I identified when I was taking over a team, even though I had all the uh, aspirations to do a really good job, there were some real times that uh, required quite a bit of resilience. Um, certainly when you're starting afresh and you're trying to make the best decisions, perhaps you lack that experience. But what really stood out for me um, during uh, leadership is that you could uh, make a string of decisions uh, throughout the shift, throughout the, uh, throughout the set of shifts. And it could all be right and then you would make one decision and that was it you, you know and through you know trying to do the best thing however you would make a bad decision you know what deemed bad by the team and uh, it very quickly turned uh, sour or uh, not unprofessional but as in like they wouldn't be happy with your decision and i think i yeah i lacked resilience back then because it really did affect me it didn't affect me professionally as in I wouldn't change my mind uh, unless it was, you know, warranted. Um, I wouldn't, you know, run off in fits of tears. Um, but what I did notice was that when I was at home after the shift, I would think on that decision over and over again. Okay, what could I have done wider, wider? Um, and just kept replaying that. So, you know, having recognised that and thought, right, okay, perhaps I need to work on my resilience. So it was as simple as just going through Google and looking at, okay, how to improve resilience. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where it stemmed from. Um, and doing that research kind of reinforces some of my values and beliefs around leadership. Um, and again, that's just grown over time. And I think it genuinely does. I mean, there are some leadership aspects, which a lot of people do have. Um, but for me, I think what has grown over the years is the accountability and responsibility of leadership. If you're willing to put your hand up and say, yes, I want to be a leader, I want to manage this team. Uh, then you need to accept the accountability and responsibility. And to do that, before that comes resilience. And then resilience, as we know, is then supported by and originates from self-care. So if you're not looking after yourself and you're allowing, like I did early on in my career, for those thoughts to uh, affect me, if you're not getting a grip of that and trying to address it, um, then it can take its toll. And it's recognising those thoughts can be really difficult to manage, can't they? Because that that kind of overthinking and ruminating almost on decisions that you've made, things you can't actually undo. They've, they've been done. You've already kind of moved away from it, if you like, yeah. in terms of time. The impact might be something you're still having to manage. But the thoughts can be something that can really derail your confidence, can't they? If you're not kind of conscious of actually being a bit kinder to yourself, recognising the impact of, you know, what you've been making decisions about over maybe a series of shifts and you know how you've 
um, maybe try to manage people and all, all the context to that actually just become, can become very self-critical. And I think that that really affects resilience, doesn't it, in terms of managing people as well? Yeah, yeah, no, completely agree. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to know it's not just isolated to police. This is leadership across the board. Um, granted, in the emergency services uh, and the NHS, you, you know, where you're dealing with sometimes life and death situations, yeah, those leadership should, sorry, the resilience needs to be uh, perhaps a bit more uh, resilient at times compared to other roles. But yeah, in every leadership role, you're going to face the uh, complications of people. And I have these discussions with uh, a wide range of my friends who are in different roles. Um, and I know certainly, because I started relatively early on, I think I was, it was around about 20, no, 26, I think, which I still thought was relatively young um, for management. Uh, but from then I was constantly talking to, I still do talking to people who are either in leadership positions or starting leadership positions. And this is the kind of stuff that I would tell them, listen, you'll, you can read a lot of books about leadership and it will tell you a lot of stuff about do this uh, strategic vision, plan this or say this, or, but it doesn't really deal with the intricacies and the difficult side of leadership, which is performance management or um yeah, having difficult and authentic conversations with staff um, and dealing with confrontation, which, you know, I, I love that phrase, which everyone says, including me at times, when they go, I don't like confrontation. And the reality is no one likes confrontation, no. uh, but it is a real part of leadership at times. Um, and I think that, drawing back to my comment about it's not just the police, I think there's a lack of guidance out there, or certainly ex easily accessible guidance to say this is how you do it. Um and again, I think that stems from people lacking that resilience and, and the, yeah, the training side and the knowledge to, to address it. So it's, you know, if you've got a problem, it's far easier to not address it. Um, than yeah, avoidance is key. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, sorry, I've gone off on a tangent then. No, no, that's fine. I was just thinking, because I, I was just thinking there about that, that idea around, you know, if you are, um, if you're leading others, you're right that in terms of actually you can do lots of leadership training you can do lots of lots of reading around it um mm -hmm. but it is about what you what you're modeling as a leader for the people that are in the team that you're managing how open you are to people and that kind of human interaction as well that it would be really easy if you could just direct people and they just did as they were told and there was no there was no emotion around any of that because it's just you know as much as you want to take that out of the conversation it's definitely there because that's we're people and we're social beings so you, you can't avoid it can you so whatever you're doing as a leader or whether you're working in a team, there's always going to be those interactions. And I think when you do leadership training, you can learn the theory of it, but whether or not you actually change fundamentally your approach and as a person is another thing because you've got to really engage with it on that level, on that deeper level. Yeah. Yeah. No, agreed. Agreed. And I think um, what does help with that is having a support network of leaders around you. Um, and I'm, I'm really focused on that over the latter part of my career to try and um, I, th I think sometimes promotion gives you up to competition and there's some good things with that uh, because obviously you want to try and do your best and competition you know creates exactly that um, but what I have found certainly towards the last four years is that um, I found it better to have an aligned leadership team who will support each other uh, to deal with those difficult problems um, 
it's all too easy when you see a, a supervisor struggling, you think's not doing a good job. It's all too easy to perhaps criticize, uh, you know, water cooler chats, but actually really in my, what I think you should be doing is recognizing that they're struggling, going over, offering them support and advice, and then forming that form of, I know this sounds corporate, but aligned leadership or support network to then address uh, those issues that they're struggling with. Mm. Uh, Exactly. For example, the resilience around, you know, some staff issues. Mm. Yeah, I know. And I keep mentioning leadership, but it's, it's not just I mean, because I automatically see leadership is helping you know, doing exactly the same for your staff. It isn't just for leaders. You know, it's, that, that uh, same example can be done with staff as well. Uh, and mm. in fact, it should be. That's, that's the whole part, you know, accountability and responsibility of your role uh, mm. to address the welfare needs of your staff. But it also should extend to your colleagues and also uh, your line management as well, mm. you know, offering them support. Yeah, and I think that, because you just said there about support network and from a, you know, self-care, resilience, mental health, all, you know, all of the stuff that we're talking about, uh, your support network, <clears throat> excuse me, is really important, isn't it? Because that's what keeps you buoyant. It's what keeps you kind of, and if, and questioning colleagues and, and say, and being able to, kind of see that they're struggling what are the signs of struggle and being able to step in and kind of you know what do I need to do what 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 help do you need because yes. I think that context is really important that you can like you say you can see behaviors and think well they you know they're not performing or or they've let us down or you know all that kind of thing but actually what's going on what's going on behind that behavior and and supporting them with that rather than it becoming like a a critical kind of yes. you know negative um, response to it yeah, and I suppose, and that's where the self-care side kind of links in because I've experienced that in the past uh, and I'm certainly not, uh, you know, I'm still susceptible to that. I, I always will be. I think, you know, leadership is always a, a, a learning curve. You're never the finished leader. Um, so recognising that in myself, I'm able to recognise it in other people. So a big telltale sign for me that someone is struggling, certainly as a leader, is when they become, and this is quite common, as you should imagine in our role is quite the robust almost macho approach to dealing with staff um where it's almost peacocking but it's i think not always but certainly in my experience um it would indicate that someone is actually struggling mm. when they're doing that when they feel like they need to create a show so if i witness stuff like that or certainly if i see people withdrawing certainly as management and not addressing perhaps minor things which you know, someone would perhaps say something and then it would almost be challenging the manager. It would be embarrassing for them to, you know, to challenge so they perhaps walk off and just be a bit more, or not walk off, or just be a bit meek towards it. Mm. I would recognise that as, oh, okay, I've been there. I know that's quite difficult to address. Um, and, um, yeah, what, and I'd go and have discussions with them, and I, and I do, and say, okay. Um, and, you know, and on a case-by-case -case basis, sometimes people don't react well if you turn up to books and say, I think you're struggling. But if you say, you know, how are you? Uh, and then start explaining, or certainly this is the tactic I use in the past, is you'll start explaining issues that I've had, you know, and errors that I've made. Um, mm. What about you? How are you finding it? And then, you know, you would start that or, or get them to open up and say, listen, it's okay to talk about this. Mm. Um, I've experienced it in the past. Uh, this is how it's worked for me. Uh, this, I'll give you some help and support surrounding it. Um, exactly like you would do for staff. Mm. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's that kind of, talking about it in the and stuff and creating an, an opportunity for conversation rather than walking away and just kind of ignoring what, what you're seeing yes. and that's one of the main things <laughs>
You're listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast, brought to you in partnership with Fortis Therapy and Training, Oscar Kilo and Humberside Police. So when we were talking about with um, the self-care wheel, uh, which I know that the people who are listening may not have come across, but it's it's similar idea um, to the life wheel. There's all sorts of different ideas out there that, you know, if people want to Google them to get a rough idea about it. But I sent you um, my version of the of the wheel for you to um, complete and, and it's broken down into sections around all sorts of aspects of life really so um, you know from stress levels and time management and relaxation clutter time out exercise diet all the things that we think about from a mental health and emotional well-being perspective uh, kind of captured in the wheel and it's something that I've developed over the years and used a lot in training and with a lot of police officers as well um, so you've taken the time out to to complete that for me so we could have a chat about it today. So we're not going to go through it section by section, <laughs> but I just wondered how you'd felt kind of um, reflecting on your self-care at the minute, because obviously we're in lockdown three, lots of things happening around us. Yeah. What were your kind of thoughts about it? Um, well, uh, first of all, with regards to obviously with COVID, I think myself and certainly uh most colleagues in the police and emergency services do consider themselves lucky that you know we're still employed uh, and I, you know there's not been much change for me i've still been going to work so i've still had that routine so um yeah so it's you know i just want to acknowledge the fact that even though we are discussing it my circumstances are by no means as difficult as others and i'm by no means professing that uh, I forgot to mention at the start as well, and this is something I was conscious of. I am not a self-care guru. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too late now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have professed to be so. Um, it's, yeah. So uh, right. So yeah. So looking at this wheel, yeah, uh, the things that stuck out for me um, was the exercise slash movement and diet, and that's not a cop out. I know. I know that probably looks like well, that's probably the least uh, emotionally demanding thing to talk about. Um, but I have recognised at the moment I've done a lot of office based uh, for the last 12 months um, and obviously we've not been able to go out as much as well um, that yeah my diet and exercise has really dropped and that was what stood out for me on this wheel um, because those are important things I've you know I, used to, I had quite a uh, a healthy upbringing obviously in the jobs that I've done previously in the roles I've had to keep fit and I, I enjoy keeping fit as well I didn't see mm. it as a chore but I have noticed and this could be to do with age as well that the uh, waistline <laughs> is, is, is we'll uh, blame that we'll blame that yeah on the wrong side of the belt so um yeah so that that stuck out um time with my family and friends now that was low but as you can see I put that COVID-19 uh, and I think that really is an impact. And I know you can talk to them via telephone and whatnot, um, but actually just, just with your mates. I mean, I've got uh, I've got a few friends, but there's, there's a Thai group of three of us, and one of them's moved to America uh, not too long ago. Uh, and then another one, he, he's actually a paramedic, um, and he's just busy. He, you know, as you could imagine, he's working all the shifts he can just to try and keep them wet above water. Uh, and we don't see uh, the friend over in... Um, America um so yeah and I do miss that and then we do catch up occasionally on um whatsapp and that and it is really nice I feel really buoyed up when we do a voice message uh, and we probably should do that more often um so yeah so I need to speak to Mike and Trev probably more and uh, and and family as well of course and uh, I do keep in regular contact with them but you do I mean I've got a horde of nieces and nephews 
and obviously with COVID and be, doing the job that I do as well, we've got to be really strict of what we can and can't do. So, you know, unfortunately, we missed birthday. We can only drop things off. You know, we can't go in and properly say hello to him and give him a hug. Um, so, yeah, that's that, that stood out for me on this wheel. Mm. Um, and it's, it, yeah, I mean, and even though you know the context of that, obviously the COVID-19 and, and that, the impact of that, there is that social aspect in both of those, isn't there? That because I've been thinking about the, you know, obviously we've been we've been told to socially distance, but actually it's it's the physical distance that we need to do. The social stuff is the stuff we really really need to do because, like you said, you come off and you feel buoyed up, and it can just lift you sometimes. Not not necessarily that you're in a, a, a low place particularly, but it's just nice to have that conversation with someone who knows you really well and can have that banter and you know check in with each other and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Hmm. So, Were there any, any other segments that kind of stuck out for you? Uh, the being mindful thing, uh, I know we had a chat previously, this, didn't we, about the stuff that I've looked at. And, uh, again, it was uh, one of my friends who uh, I think I was doing, was on ARV at the time, and just due to lack of staffing, we were doing 12-hour shifts constantly. Uh, and I remember being tired and run down and um, we were going for a, a drink with him once. And he just always seemed to have a calm air about him. Um, uh, like throughout the previous six months and I was asking him about it because I just felt a bit you know stressed uh, and tired and he started talking about mindfulness and he was very guarded with it uh, as lads are <laughs> you know he's like you might think it's I think he used the phrase woo-woo you might think it's woo-woo he said well I'm doing this mindfulness thing and I'm thinking oh gosh is he going to grow a top knot and you know sit, <laughs> sit on a yoga mat uh, but yeah he talked about it and got me onto uh, Eckhart Tolle uh, my oh, power now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Actually, i think it was the a new earth that i read and it was about all oh, right yeah but also you know i've also listened to the power of now as well mm -hmm. so it's about you know yeah being in the moment uh and being mindful and that for me that was quite high on there and it's just i suppose in layman terms about being mindful before it put people off about you know sitting around in tie-dye shirts and <laughs> it's just about recognizing um what your actual emotional state is so linking into emotional intelligence which is i know a big thing that uh, is discussed at blank's place uh, and i know daniel goldman does a lot around it doesn't he mm -hmm. um but yeah just be mindful as in recognizing when uh, you're in a good mood you're in a bad mood uh, when, when it's best to interact with people or have particular conversations and just recognizing that when you are perhaps uh in a, a worse mood uh, that's okay to be like that just recognize it like a big indicator for me is driving to work in the morning and then um, if there's someone behind me uh, fairly close I can see my rear view mirror I'll perhaps grumble something even though it happens almost every day and I thought when I recognize that in the morning I think ah oh, yes I'm tired okay mm. I need to be need to get some coffee some water <laughs> yeah, less capacity this. yes <laughs> or don't have certain conversations that day so, uh, you know, I, I really advocate uh, people just looking into mindfulness and don't, do not be put off by it like I was previously of uh, thinking, you know, it's, it's going to sit around with a load of hippies uh, in a circle chanting. It's actually about just uh, taking that time out, simple breathing exercises uh, and just recognising where you are and not being too hard on yourself as well. You know, if you've had a bad day or you've done something which you're not particularly happy about, if you said a comment or you thought a particular thing because you were angry, then okay, it's okay, we're human. It's okay mm. to be like that. Mm. Just um, take some time out for yourself. 
I think that's really important, that acceptance part, you know, because we are our own worst critics quite often, aren't we? And we are, we have got quite often what I see is, you know, people who have very high standards for themselves. And when we can't meet those standards, suddenly, you know, there's lots of things around not being good enough and, you yes. know, feeling bad and guilty and shame and all of those really strong emotions, which are really heavy. And I think just simple things like, like you've just described there, like, observing and tracking how you're doing I think one of the things for me with mindfulness is that if you can if you can actually create opportunities just to breathe properly you know there didn't have to be hours and hours of it like you say you're not sat on a yoga mat kind of floating it's not about that it's about just actually looking after yourself and observing what are my thoughts doing why you know what am I feeling and what's going on because you can be in it sometimes far too much and you don't get that perspective because you, you literally got your head down and if you can actually stand up and see what's going on in your head and reflect on it that way you're probably going to get more opportunity to feel to actually take control of how you're feeling yeah yeah i see it a lot and i've experienced it as well during the early attempts of promotion is you know people are in the promotion process and you're that focused on trying to do it and that worried but actually when i see people come back after rest days during the process and i'll say you know what i'm not sure i want it and I've been there and I had those conversations. I said, listen, what you're feeling is absolutely fine. You know, you've actually thought, oh, actually, what's going on? I've been so busy on the treadmill. I've not actually, like you said, put your head up to say, actually, where am I going here? Mm. Is it the thing I want to do? Mm. Um, yeah, and recognising that in others um, has been helpful, I think. Mm. Yeah, and I, th- I think part of that is factoring in space to have those thoughts, because I think reflection is part of that. And I don't, I think sometimes we're just running at full pelt and you don't get a chance to actually reflect on, like you just said, is this actually something I want? Yeah, yeah. You know, ultimately the answer still might be yes, but what what does it mean and why am I feeling the way I'm feeling and that kind of thing and actually breaking it down a bit rather than just feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, and I think that's why annual leave is so important mm. and just having uh, your work-life balance as well because um, something I've had and um, I'm always complimented on by my friends and family is that I, I tend to, keep quite a distinct line between work and home life mm. um i think i'm lucky with that because i the rank that i'm at at the moment it doesn't dictate i need to do that and, and i recognize that the um the further you go up in the organization that home life balance at your own choice will have to change because there's far much far more impetus on you but um yeah i do have a distinct line where and then sometimes and i acknowledge the fact that it, it perhaps comes off as not as well, it does come off exactly like uh, I'm not a sociable person, but I do like to keep work and home life very separate. Uh, I don't go on that many social functions. Uh, again, it's not because I used to, you know, as a lot of younger, I think like most did, but yeah, I always think, always like to keep that gap. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. That just works for me. If mm-hmm. I've had a, you know, I, I like to think I uh, apply myself at work uh, and, um, and I do think about work a lot at home, certainly when it comes to if I'm pushing for promotion or working on particular projects or making some decisions or making some bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in it a lot. So I need to, for me, what works is to have that distinct gap between uh, home and work. Is that something that you consciously decided to do? Or has that evolved as time's gone on? And you know what I mean? Like that's just yeah. a natural boundary you've put in place. Yeah, I think um, I it's difficult to say without actually sounding the exact opposite but i like to say i have a bit of humility <laughs> <laughs> so so when i was in the, the army 
uh, four years prior to the police. Um, I was very conscious about, and I've got my friends to thank for this, that, you know, I could never come back and say, oh yeah, I was in the army, I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. It just wouldn't happen. It was like, you know, Mark, wind your neck in. You're just one of, one of the lads. <laughs> yeah, stop it. Um, and and I, I never wanted to be like that anyway. Um, but it was always nice to be surrounded by people who would ground you. And it became a bit of a joke, actually, because we'd say something like, oh yeah, just did such and such. Yeah, I went for a run. And they're like, oh, how far is that? Six miles. And they're like, all oh, right. And I go, but, but I, am, I am in the army. You know, and... <laughs> And, it, and that still sticks now, and they still, they still say it to me now. Uh, so yeah, so I've always like recognised, and that was a real distinct difference because you were at work twenty four seven, and then mm. when you were off, you were off. You know, you were you, you didn't go to work. You were off for a good two weeks. So and then I thought, right, okay, when I joined the police, recognising that it can swallow you up uh, at times, and because I used to used to when I was in the military police, I used to hang around with colleagues who were in uh, the police as well. I could see how some were, were distant, but some were really involved. And yeah, I just, I just never wanted to say, never worked for me to lean towards like getting fully involved in my job. Uh, so I think, yeah, that difference between the army being so distinct kind of bled into uh, the police. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it just works for me. Like I said, there's no right or wrong. You know, some people uh, like that. It works for them, that their social life is work or colleagues from work and I think you know there's some um, benefit in that it's just yeah it just it didn't work for me I felt like I was perhaps giving up a bit too much mm. and I think that's really key as well that that you've you've found that that works for you that's probably because of that conditioning that you you know there was that kind of you're all in or you're all out a bit you know in, in yeah. the in the army days but 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 making those choices that fit for you as an individual is really important because you can get I think sometimes influenced this peer support can be really positive and it can also have obviously negative impacts as well and it can be influenced to go along with what you think is the right thing to do because that's what other people are doing but it might not work for you so it's having those making choices isn't it that actually create time for self-care time for time out days off you know all of that as well yeah yeah mm. agreed agreed yeah i find um probably that because it's all like i said before leadership your leadership style and your skills are always evolving. But one thing for me, having just got into a bit more of the corporate world side of things where uh, politics are very real and a, and a necessary thing. Um, and I struggled with that transition, if I'm honest, at the start where I came from like an operational background. Um, I was very focused on the phrase I would use, getting it right for the troops. Um, and decisions would perhaps be made that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. And I got into a bit of a, I say a bit of a cycle and I found that uh, where I was like, oh, I don't agree with it. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit ambiguous or um, yeah. And then I think, oh, am I being really effective in the role that I'm doing? Is it what I wanted to do? And yeah, that, and that was, a, I say, a bit of a small cycle, nothing major. It was just something that I'd recognised. Um, and then I thought, oh, actually, and what really came through and sort of again clarified uh, my leadership approach was just authenticity so when it came to a decision I found myself doing almost like double triple quadruple feedback loops in my head thinking what the politics say about this what the politics say about that which again are important but I would always say what is what is the right thing to do mm. or, or an authentic approach um, mm. and I found that was really good at just me putting my foot on the ball and saying ah okay this is the right thing to do so this is what I should be doing you know, I'm, I'm not saying that politics and the right thing to do never marry up. Quite often you do. It's just um, whenever there was a, 
and I've always struggling or lack the experience to understand the political reason for it, I would always hark back to, okay, what's the right thing to do? What do I think is the right thing to do? And that really would centre me from my that, I was going to say it grounds you that, just that, that idea of what's the right thing to do just grounds you straight away, doesn't it? Because it, all that noise of all the other perspectives and perceptions and, you know, like you say, the politics of things, it can really kind of detract from actually coming back to the decision that you can make with what you've got yes. at that time. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I would always, I would advocate that. But again, that might be a naive notion <laughs> because there are bigger decisions at foot uh, sometimes. <laughs> <aren't> <laughs> yeah, but I think you can apply that to you to just personally, you know, what's the right thing to do for me? You know, what's grounding me in this decision I'm making and what, because often what I see, especially with officers um, and staff when we're working with them therapeutically is that you can get really drawn into what's doing, what's the right thing to do for somebody else. Yeah, I don't, right. I don't mean actually in the workplace I just mean generally like you know knowing how to help someone or how to because you know because of what you do for a living it's you know yeah. that's what you do every day and to actually not have to do that personally and step away from that and go well actually that's not the right thing for me it's the right thing for them yeah not necessarily for me it's actually quite a different mindset yeah yeah I, mean, but I, I was thinking on this the other day and I thought oh, I might uh, bring it to your attention see what your thoughts are on it is the, dichot the dichotomy of being uh, in the police and other emergency services, that more so the police, is that you're trying to do the best thing for people. Mm. However, you will quite often see the worst of people. And does that manifest, well, obviously without giving away too much detail, but do you find that manifests itself a lot with police officers, they struggle with that? Yeah, yeah, because I think you know what people are capable of whereas the general public might have an idea but they don't see it for real so you know what what your fantasy about that might be in the general public can be you know one thing but actually when you're dealing with it every day and you're trying to find your way through that you know you kind of you've got your own moral compass if you like and your yeah. own ways of working which keep you on that kind of hopefully on that straight and narrow although that doesn't always happen but you know most of the time um and I think it can create quite a lot of conflict because then when you're dealing with that every day and then you're trying to kind of have a family life and friendships and everything else, yeah. your perspective is, is, is automatically different. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Can so you, you see were, what I mean? Yeah, more, more geared towards are you being defensive or seeing negative sides of people. Yeah, and, and trust, trust being uh -huh. difficult as well because, you know, essentially you're trained to question. Yeah. And investigate and and think about you know and and try and put pieces together and that kind of thing mm -hmm. it's a bit like me as a therapist you know how i'm trained to think it's it's having to kind of learn how to maybe switch some of that off so that you don't have to do that all the time outside of work as well as in work yeah 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 uh, God, yeah in fact yeah. I, yeah i watched something recently i think it was on ted talk it was about a therapist who was you know, uh, he said he was in an elevator in New York. He finished a long day, and his neighbour said, "How are you?" And he just couldn't answer him. And he said he had, and then he had to build that, you know, that resilient wall and figure out when to switch off and when not to switch off. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and that's the mind you, I've not done much research into therapy, but that's the first time, and uh, yeah, quite eye-opening that that is an mm. issue. For, well, I, I got an I got an email off, off an officer today who I do work with, and asked me how I was, so I gave him. A response and he knows me really well and came up with that was very corporate <laughs> i was like okay if you want the real answer <laughs> <Here you go. laughs> but it is it's knowing when to switch it off and who you can do that with and i think that's 
think it's tough for police officers um, to, to, to be able to do that smoothly. And I think when you're under a lot of pressure as well and, you know, working a lot of hours and everything else as well, it's just trying to get that kind of keep an eye on that balance between what you're taking on at work and how you're seeing things and what you're doing outside of work. Right. So that's what you would advocate then, just that balance mm. for the mindfulness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just keeping yourself in mind, because I think that's the thing that can almost drop out of off the list. You know, everybody else is important. The job's important. Um, but whereabouts are you on that list? And are, are you at the bottom of it or are you are you actually at the top? So you're looking after yourself first. Yes. And then you look after everybody else. It's yes. tempting to just kind of go, well, it doesn't matter about me. I'll negate me and my needs and I'll look after everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. no, that makes sense, yeah. Well, off the list. Well, that's really gone really quickly. <laughs> I feel like we've covered loads of ground there as well. Um, thanks for coming to talk to me, Mark. I really appreciate it. Um, if there's anybody out there who wants to ask more information or get in touch, then by all means, get in touch on the social media platforms for Oscar Kilo or Fortis Therapy and Training, and we'll definitely come back to you. Um, thanks for your time, Mark. Thank you. Enjoyed Thank you. it. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast. It's available wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you subscribe, you'll be notified of the next episode as soon as it's available. We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas for future podcasts. So please do comment or get in touch on our social media platforms for either Fortis Therapy and Training or Oscar Kilo.